What's spring like in Park City, Utah? Imagine waking up on a bluebird day to ski the greatest snow on earth at two world-class resorts, Park City Mountain and Deer Valley. Exploring miles of wide open spaces by snowshoe or cross-country skis. Wandering our historic Main Street with its Opry ski scene and award-winning restaurants. When you love it like we love it, Park City, Utah will always be winter's favorite town. Join the experience at visitparkcity.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome, rugby fans, to another great episode of the Rugby Rant Podcast Show with your team. My name is Ty Braga, your host for today's activities alongside the usual suspects of Rob the Hammer Hammerschmidt. And to his side, you've got the big guy himself. There you see him. Of course, Scott Ferrari. And joining us on his return, we have Rick Collins all the way from Dallas. He is joining us here from the Jackal Den, where you see me representing on his behalf as I have clearly come closer to choosing Dallas for 2021. But gentlemen, we are here to be able to battle each other to find out who has the best points as set forth by the fans of the MLR Fan Zone asking the question about World 10s. Is it a flash in the pan or a success tale to become? So, you know the rules, but for those who don't, let me remind you. These gentlemen each have two minutes to be able to rant the topics put forth their best points on what they believe is right or wrong when it comes to the 10 series. Now, if they go over those two minutes, they will be receiving what we like to call, gentlemen, say it with me, the The cheese. cheese. The cheese. That's right. That is the yellow card, and they will sit out. Oh, no, actually, they will receive their first warning, but if they continue to infringe, they'll get the red where they'll sit out the next round. So this is a little bit of fun, gentlemen, to keep it on point. We're also going to be making sure that we get as much information in in as quickly as possible. And remind me, who won the last round of the uh, the rugby debate? Was that uh, Rob Hammerschmidt? I see him with that. It was. I'm going to say if you can see the letters on there, it says "Nice try, Scott, the big guy for Rob." (laughs) So. Scott has said conveniently his wife yeah. lost his trophy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so we're really not sure. Uh, it's like a good fraternity prank. I went over and stole it. I went to New York, took a day trip. And- Listen, right. Tony Lamborn <laughs> broke the Rand Furley. My wife lost yeah. the good guy trophy. I mean, that, by the way, was a great story. That was a great story. Go back and listen yeah. to the, the interview uh, with Tony Lamborn when he talks about how he was in charge of that trophy and – Basically screwed it up, uh, but no one knew. (laughs) It's a great story. Uh, Anyway, we digress. Ty, if I could just interject, I want to correct you, and I don't do this off because you do a marvelous job, but this is actually Rick's third time joining us. This is third time joining us because I got to give Rick kudos in short order for our draft evening. He got together a party down there in Dallas from a, from a a, a local establishment and that feed was outstanding. He had a good crowd there and it really made our, our, um, our broadcast live broadcast unique. And it set the tone for our current run passer kick live interviews too. So kudos to you, Rick. Thank you very much for what you do, my friend. No problem. Thank you. It was, uh, Kind of a rush job, but we put it together, made it work, and hey, turned out nice. Well, I can tell you it was a lot better than the sound we got from Nola. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Benji. <laughs> yeah. So, and not not to take it away from them, you know, Benji put on uh, uh, they had a huge party us on a they huge screen. Yeah. And, uh, but nevertheless, uh, you're, this is your third time. So, thank you for correcting me there, Rob. But uh, let's continue to be able to share. Uh, with the fans now that we're going to be talking about Rugby 10s, uh, so I say the World 10 Series, being hosted in Bermuda. Now, only weekend one has been completed. It did have a last-minute adjustment where they had moved the playing days from Saturday and Sunday to Sunday and Monday. So not a lot of people had the opportunity to view the gameplay on Monday because obviously right. we're commitments, right? 
So we're here to be able to kind of look at it from a, a bird's eye view. We're going to give each of these gentlemen an opportunity to put forth their points with their two-minute rant. And we're going to hand it over to the guests on this occasion to start us off with your two minutes. They begin now. Go ahead, Rick. Success. And not only was it a success, but with flying colors. And my opinion going in was this was going to be a failure. Uh, you're going to have the COVID issue. You're going to have players test positive. Uh, you're going to have teams that are going to have to back out, which did happen. Uh, and then maybe you're not going to have some games, uh, which they did have fewer games because of a team having to back out. In fact, two teams really backing out the last second, at least for the first weekend. But Huge success in terms of getting gameplay on the field that was entertaining, a great show, and great production value. So showing the kind of production value that we can see from rugby in the United States, I think, going forward. And hopefully that's what we're going to see from MLR and from our international matches going forward is a higher level of production. So I would say a success as a viewer not having to be there and just watching beautiful, you know, Bermuda shores and watching players on the field playing rugby, huge success. Well, you know, first of all, let's let, let's also establish. So, like I said before, uh, just before the show, the uh, you know, rugby. Obviously, we had a pretty pretty uh, excited to be able to see any rugby, so it was going to be a success just putting a field field team out there, right? Now they had to move to Bermuda. So you, you spoke about the COVID implications. They had to navigate some of those worries initially because the SX-10 that were traveling from Cape Town managed, while they managed to travel from Cape Town uh, under a lot of restrictions, still ended up having one player end up testing positive, which then, of course, meant that that whole unit was excluded from the first weekend's play. Now, in addition to that, one of the teams wasn't even able to travel and didn't make the tournament, which brought them down to six from their initially uh, conceived eight teams. But obviously, great rugby, right? Sorry, you were saying? Uh, I believe that was a team from Argentina. You're right. And obviously everybody's under different conditions. Everybody's got different restrictions. Uh, travel is, is affected uh, ultimately, but now as it stands, uh, they do what they can to be able to manage the risk, which is, uh, very few fans that are there, which is only the Bermuda na- uh, na- uh, natives. Um, and then, obviously, as you said, it was a great product to be able to watch at home. It wasn't going to be on American soil, but what a great way to be able to start it off in a country like Bermuda that does have such a high rating on the CDC uh, for their low numbers in COVID. Yes, good points about the broadcast as well. So I want to, before we dive into those points, I'm pretty sure that uh, that Scott has something to share. So let's hand it over to Scott. Let's hear what you've got and uh, tell us what you got. Let's get hot, baby. It was hot. World 10 series was hot. It was a success. Loved watching a lot. I had a lot of friends down there playing. A lot of guys we know playing. Got a lot of guys we love playing. Um, Speaking of guys we love, uh, if you guys haven't gotten it, get your Team Corb shirts. Uh, Alex Corbacero, uh, his shirts are 40 bucks. They're all going to um, testicular cancer awareness. The hashtag is no ego, just amigos. Um, anyway, it was a complete success. I think the production value was there. I think the code was there. It was exciting. It was entertaining. The on-the-fly changes were entertaining. The conversion, the different conversion kicks were entertaining. And then the play was entertaining. I think it took a while. Uh, that first series or that first session in the, in the first weekend um, was kind of a feeler for every team a little bit. So I think you saw more parity going into the second and third session as they moved on. But, it, but also in the third session, um, the last couple matches, you could tell the heat was starting to get to guys. So you started to see a little more sloppy play. Now, I had asked um, Anthony Parry, who's down there on, on the Miami Sun, the team I'm rooting for. Um, the ball looked like it was very slippery, and I I have a theory. We'll find out later. He didn't answer me. I was thinking guys slathered up so much with sunscreen that it was actually getting on the ball in those first couple matches because the the, the no seriously the handling of the ball for guys yeah. who are professional rugby players was very very and it wasn't just knock-ons it was just getting a ball and just dropping it which which is very unusual specifically since a lot of these guys are backs but overall it was a great success right well let's not forget that they have been what sometimes what months well definitely months. months out of out of practice right so certainly shaking off the cobwebs was always going to be a factor playing in the extreme heat was also going to be a factor so yeah i mean day 1 looked a little sloppy wouldn't you agree yeah day 1 looked a little sloppy and i think the only thing that that 
I could I could really dig in on on the World Tens is he actually had one injury um, this weekend. Patty Ryan, um, you know, got rolled up on right. with his ankle and and you know had to leave had to leave the Ohio Aviators and now has to rehab before the MLR season. And you know, obviously, you know he, he's going to get there. He's going to go to he. They haven't announced what team he's on, what signing he made yet. But you know, I, I see that as the one bad. If there if there wasn't if there if everything was a success, that was the only negative thing I could see. Right. And it's not a negative about the tournament or its structure. It's just, hey, there's a bad footnote. Unfortunately, I mean, it's a contact sport. It happens. We Mm -hmm. wish him well and we want to be able to see him ready for the MLR season. So right now he just needs to be able to rest up and uh, get the care that he needs. Rob, let's swing it over to you. So um, I'm going to go with flash of the pan. Now, first of all, let me just say this. I can admit when I'm wrong. Uh, I thought it was like Scott said, and I think Rick hit the money uh, nail on the head. Um, it had great entertainment value, right? Uh, the variation of the rules was kind of cool. It was interesting. It was a fun variation. It was it was uh, interesting to see. Um, but my concern revolves around availability of players. I mean, um, quite frankly, I think owners of the of MLR franchises were lenient uh, in, in allowing their players to be available for these respective teams. Um, because uh, they hadn't played much rugby lately, and it was an opportunity to shake off some of the rust and get back into playing shape, right? But I, I got to wonder about you know next year when this is going to be a much bigger tournament when they're talking about I think it is ten weeks, right? Where and and Ty, you, you, we talked off camera about this, but where is it going to be in the professional rugby season? Uh, where is it going to sit? Are MLR players going to be available? Will owners want their players to be available when there's possibility of conflicts with M- part of the MLR schedule? What about international players? A guy like Dylan Fawcett, who didn't, I don't think he, sh- he played this past weekend, but he certainly traveled with Ohio. He, he, um, he didn't play the first day. He played the second day. Second day. So, um, you know, well, I mean, we know that the uh, our cha- uh, ARC is going to be in August. Is it going to flick with that? And what about sevens, right? We know the sevens schedule starts in December and it, it pretty much plays once a month, um, I think through July, are the, some of those sevens players like Mike Cateo, who does, you know, do a code there, are, are they going to be available? Um, and those are some of the guys that make it exciting. And so my concern is really about, you know, um, is great entertainment value now? And it was fun for us to see. And we're excited about it because we have, we've been starved for rugby. But what about next year when it fits into a regular calendar, hopefully uh, post-COVID? Okay. So first up, yellow. I got to let let, uh, Scott have a chance minutes. I get that. You had a lot to fit inside your two minutes. So let's unpack some of that. Okay. The last point you spoke about was the calendar and how does it fit into the rugby calendar as a whole? So where we see rugby now, um, the MLR has shifted their regular calendar for a start date of March. That wasn't anticipated in the initial uh, design of where they would fall into as 10s because they had identified a gap or what they believe was that perfect window to be able to play this game um, and also to be able to get great engagement from all the players where they didn't have the commitments to an MLR side. They didn't have the commitments to a sevens program and onwards to a national team. So how does that work? Well, they would have to be able to have a five-month calendar that includes preseason, the entire training and, and, and program, and bearing in mind, it's, it's not going to be in the manner like sevens where they would end up moving from one location, come back home, go to another location, come back home. So their base camp wouldn't be set up here in the U.S. It would be traveling on the road with them. So they would have to be able to use the facilities there. They would have to have this this whole unit traveling together. So anybody that commits to it would have to be able to commit to it for the entire cycle, right? You would hope so. Otherwise, it'd be very difficult for you to run an organization when you have players in one week and out the next. And all the implications that could still exist around COVID is just not feasible. So you do bring up a point, though. But while I think that the bulk of the season will still fall in a window that makes it possible, some of it might now overlap and it might overlap with the with the postseason in MLR. And I don't think it might necessarily overlap with sevens, but it might, depending on how far, if, if they change their calendar, move into uh, the national um, national team commitments there. So, yes, a, a good point to be able to bring up, but yet we don't know enough to be able to answer that question just yet. And let's not forget that the MLR may play a season starting in March, you know, end of March, and they may say, wow, this calendar actually worked out better for us than starting in February because cities like teams like Toronto, Rooney, 
the Free Jacks could actually get a few more games in earlier at home. Um, you right. Know, so we, we don't know what they're going to do. So I mean, it's an interesting point that's been thrown around. I'm actually going to hand this one over to Rick. So, you know, a lot of people have been talking about how this can actually help the MLR. So we now recognize that it could actually be in conflict, at least in part, through the timing of the season, but not necessarily its commitment to rugby, right? Because it can add value. Rick, do you want to be able to talk about how it could add value to MLR players? Well, I think one of the things is you need something during the offseason for the players, right? Um, There's not a strict training regimen for MLR players yet. Um, They are professional, but... Most of them are working a side job. Uh, so, you know, instead of working a side job, their side hustle could be playing more rugby, which uh, would obviously be better uh, for the teams, assuming that, you know, they're not getting injured. Um, but you would expect that your players are playing year round if they're a professional player. Uh, right now, they, they cannot have that expectation. So I think actually something like tens or what we've talked about for years now of a off-season sevens um, series um, would be really good for MLR, not only for the players, but also for the product of MLR. So promoting their players that are playing in it, maybe like NOLA, they have a team involved in the series itself. And so that's another opportunity to market their team um, and get um, their team, you know, to more of a national audience that's maybe interested in sevens, uh, people that aren't big rugby fans might be sevens fans. And so right. you might get your product in front of those fans and they go, oh, well, I'm going to start watching 15s now because I really like watching their sevens team play. So, so I, I James, think there's a lot of different pieces there. Yeah. So James Walker, who's a part of the uh, the organization that, you know, kind of the brainchild behind this, yeah. looks at, at, at tens and thinks to himself, well, it brings in the audience that enjoys football. It's a physical game. It's a contact sport. It brings in the audience that enjoys 15s because, and then also the, the audience that enjoys sevens because it combines the elements or at least the skill set of, 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 uh, of sevens, but you know, the, the excitement and the physicality of 15s because it does have some of the heavyweights on the field. So it can be an interesting prospect to fans that, you know, it's a little bit of a hybrid. But in reference to the players, I do think that there's a great benefit where you have NOLA being advertised as NOLA players and you can see them jumping on the bandwagon with the social media, which, by the way, how amazing has their social media presence been for the TENS program in comparison to some of the teams that we've seen in the MLR? They could probably learn a few lessons from those guys. Shout out to Morgan Clay. Right. (laughs) So, So that point aside, talking about money, right? So MLR players are not the rich and wealthy of the U.S., right? What they are is the most dedicated professional sports people around, most likely. But we wish that they would have a more lucrative career given the physical uh, stress that they put their bodies under. This can be a way not only to be able to long, to give, create more longevity in their career, it could be a lower impact version of the game that they're playing at 15 so they could extend their career. Secondly, you can also generate more money. So one of the key differences that I discussed with James Walker, who's uh, a part of that the organization that gave birth to this program, is that there is no salary cap. Instead, there's a salary minimum. And that minimum is reported to be $1,000 uh, a week. Um, so you could see 4000 if you were able to play all four uh, of those weeks. That is almost arguably so, better than an MLR entry-level contract. Wouldn't you guys agree? Scott, let me hand it over to you. Uh, yes, it is. And, and here's the thing. Rob was talking about sevens. I don't think it interferes as much with USA sevens because we haven't really seen anybody from the USA seventh team in any of these teams. But what we have seen is Scotland sevens, uh, um, um, Great Britain sevens, Wales sevens, Ireland sevens, whose teams all got cut. So going, going back and and when they do have the world series, the sevens world series, um, all those players, you're not going to have those players available. Um, Quick shout out to Will Leonard making hits like crazy dude was just straight up murking people out there. But I think the most exciting part I felt um, and why I think honestly, tens is a a little bit better than sevens. As far as a code is, you know, in sevens, you have, you always have that play where they just get it out wide and the guy takes off. We saw several times where that happened and guys got caught because the space wasn't there. And it was very exciting to see the chase down. 
Um, it's so just I think that, that, that extra uh, players on the field changes the dynamic. Yeah. As you pointed out with sevens, it always ends up being who's got the fastest horse, right? Exactly. And, and, and for, well, sorry, Rob, just real quick. And for a big guy like me, you know, if I wanted to watch a track meet, I'd watch a track meet. You know what I mean? And it, it's not always about that. Sometimes it is about a guy like, you know, Anthony Perry or Mike Brown or whoever, whoever is, is a more athletic front row guy running some people over to make the play or Patty Ryan getting in there and, and punishing people inside five meters, you know? And and let me just say uh, on both of those notes uh, from Scott and Rick, like if I had my druthers, I'd rather see tens as the Olympic sport over sevens. Okay. If it fit in the calendar and it was tens and fifteens and tens was the Olympic sport, I, I like the brand of rugby. I just think it's going to be difficult to fit in there and that, and, and make, players available but right. it was an exciting brand of rugby that fits into the the ioc i just don't see ioc as a very dogmatic organization right and and they get rid of programs rather than change them over a little bit so uh, i think how long did sevens have to fight to get back into the olympic games right. after their yeah. last appearance in 1924 right, right. So, so i think i think one of the things uh with with tens though um you know going forward we talk about being flash in a pan um, it is flashing a pan right now because it literally has gone through one weekend, right? We don't know what's going to happen going forward. And by um, the time this airs, it'll be in weekend two, by the way. <laughs> but I think I think the success piece of it is that you don't necessarily need all these sevens players to be on the team. So I think it helps, but you don't need them. I, I think you can do this with professional uh, MLR, SLAR, Guys from right. South Africa, um, you know, there's plenty like of. You need more of them. You can get <laughs> players that aren't playing in season and need something to do. Right. And that was I, the I cool wanna... thing. That was a cool thing about the is the strategy the coaches had in in building their teams, right? And and we noticed that the Dragons um, were a lighter side, more sevens oriented, but then you know the Highway Raiders were a bit more bulky, had a bit more girth and size to them, and so it's just the strategy that coaches played into their personnel changes made it interesting. Right. And, and, and some of the interesting changes before we dwell on that too much there. So I wanted to be able to talk and give it a little bit of context for our viewers who are watching the rugby around here and might not necessarily know where tens came from. And they think that this might be the first iteration of it. It isn't really, you know, tens has existed as far back as 1967 was originally created in Malaysia where teams who are of smaller stature, could have an ability to compete with the larger framed teams and the more established rugby nations like New Zealand, like South Africa, and of course the UK and Europe in general. So it always was designed to be a game that had that healthy mix between speed and agility and the skill set of sevens, but yet still some of the physicality that we enjoy from, from the 15s game. So it, it, it seems like tens in this version has embraced all of those original values. But what they have embraced is innovation as well with their rule changes. So let's go ahead and talk about some of those. Uh, and let's hand it back to, to Scott because he was talking about some of the heavies and how they're able to feature. Let's see how that plays a factor in the new variation of the game. Well, I mean, they have the on-the-fly change rule. And, and you saw teams that looked like, I want to say, Miami kind of had a, an A squad and a B squad. And would throw them in, throw them in there, uh, like you know, in the first half, in the second half, the Rhinos went full out hockey style. They had, you know, the first line, the second line, the third line, and that checking line because it was like they were calling numbers, and certain guys were coming on and off, and and, and they had this system to work where whatever the ball was or whatever the situation was, they were flowing with that. Um, and and again, even as Ben Sima came on primarily as a kicker to kick kicker. that five point conversion. And, right. you know, a lot of people were crapping on it, but you know what? That's what happens in the NFL. You, a punter comes out and a kicker comes out and that's all they friggin' do. Yeah. And, and I'm going to say that that's, that's one thing I wasn't a big fan of. Like yeah. I'm saying, you know, that your kicker has got to be on the pitch when they try sport. Why? So, right? for clarity, yeah. Are you saying, are you saying that you don't Why? like the five point conversion or the no, fact that no, you bring no. on your specialist I'm, kicker? I'm, I'm saying, yeah, the specialist kicker, I think it devalues okay. the skill set that, that, that uh, the players, um, have to and have. I think you brought this up. And so. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you brought it up, or maybe Scott did. It seems almost a little bit unfair in some people's minds that you can say you have three or four minutes of solid play going through the phases where one right. guy eventually dots it down across the whitewash to get his five, and then the kicker comes on for the glory to kick another five. 
Well, not only that, but you know, they go if you watched any of the games, it was I mean, the scoring was not as frequent as sevens. It was it was pretty tough for some of those teams to break through the lines and they had to work really hard in developing their continuity and keeping possession of the ball. Right. And, and so you'd get a try and it was like, Oh, finally. And then there would be a penalty or there would be a situation where you'd be able to kick the you know, kick, kick for posts. And that effort was kind of minimized. I don't think so. And you want to know what that that's almost like saying, Oh, well, you know, uh, Romania has a weaker kicker. So, you know, uh, it's, it's, and, and they're playing New Zealand. New Zealand has the best kicker. That's kind of the, 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 the what I'm drawing at is the parallel. If you want to, if, if, a, if an owner wants to take the team and, and spend a thousand dollars on Ben Sima and just shuffle him out there to kick, friggin' go for it because other teams aren't going to do that. And, and sometimes it's going to come down to that kick. And a lot of times it's not. So I don't see the interesting part about the salaries is that you can do that. You could decide that you want to pay that specialist kicker, bring in a Dan Carter in his twilight years to be able to not only give you some marketing power, but to be able to give you some, some, some great, uh, uh, you know, scoring opportunities. And you want to pay him 10,000 for the game. You can do that. There is no salary cap, but there is a minimum. Um, so it's interesting how the game might develop and it might become all about the specialists. What do you guys think? Like, I don't like the, you know, you can bring the kicker on um, just for a kick and then take him off. I, I think if he comes on, I, I'm okay with him coming on to convert the kick, but he's got to stay on until like the next dead ball. So what you're saying is, is that he needs to be able to be there for the restart until the first end of like the next play. So you can at least say he contributed more than just being the kicker. Otherwise... Right. I mean, then it will begin Maybe to look more and more soccer like player, player, right? You could you just get a soccer player to come out and kick the five point conversions every time. But right. if you can't really miss it because they go under the catch a high ball, then you're in trouble. Yeah, I, I mean, no, but again, I, going back to it, I just why? why? Like, why would you? Why would you make a guy go on the field if that's not what they're there for? You know, because they're a rugby player. It was no, 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 But you want to say that? No, 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 no. They're not a punter. You want to say that? But it's okay. Wait, 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 wait. They should have to demonstrate. You want to say he's a rugby player now in various parts of the game? Wait, wait. You want to say he's a rugby player now? But when they, when, when they said in the Premiership, hey, this prop should play hooker. All of a sudden, it was well, he's he's not he's not specialized to do that. So don't give me you're a specialist in one, okay, one so side. A you're not a specialist in the other side. Don't double dip there. It's not just a hooker. Dan Coles is a is a is a is a hooker wing. It, don't but don't tell me it's oh okay. because because one special one specializes in one thing and one specializes in another Wood, that it should Keith be different. Wood was one of the best <laughs> with a ball on his boot. Now let me let me right? let me, I mean, let me hit that's not true. Okay. So on, on on to to Scott's point though, Scott the gets the in rugby, <laughs> now they're just he's just making up his own stuff as he goes. Apparently, oh, no, 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 no. Tell me what I said. Talking okay. back to the sir. Yeah. Okay. So so let me let me circle back around to it. So Scott brought up an interesting point that I want to return to. Is okay. So the argument is: Can we have? a specialist kicker who comes in, does his job, and then leaves immediately afterwards. Is that good for rugby? Is he the all-round player? Does he reflect the values or the skill set of what a fly half or, you know, somebody in that position should be? I'm not going to answer that one, but what I liked is what Scott said is, well, then how come in one part of the argument, we talk about rugby getting more specialized. We talk about a specialist in the scrum. We talk about it being a unique skill set. But it's they not. Have what? It's not. How is it not a unique skill set? I, can you kick the ball? Because I can't kick the friggin' ball. Well, no, it's, you're it saying a hooker is the unique skill set, and it's and we're what we're seeing is hookers become more versatile. Yeah, they're okay. becoming better. Oh, what I'm, what I'm saying, what I'm saying is, in the Premiership this past year, they ran. I forgot what team it was, and I forgot exactly who it was. They ran out of hookers. They asked the prop to play hooker. He said no because I don't know what I'm doing because it's specialized. So don't tell me kicking. Right, and in the specialized, yeah, and you can have a guy just kick because you apparently okay. you could just have a guy who do, do, that just plays hooker. That's, that's my point. Is I want to see guys be more all around footballers. Think about what some of the, the one of the greatest you are seeing those guys plays, when, when one of the greatest Seno, plays in the history of fifteens is Zinzan Brook. We're not talking about eight, fifteens. Taking Rob, a drop goal, we're not talking about but that 15s. demonstrated is all we're around talking about skill 10. and versatility. Right. Let's talk about ten. And there's value in that. 
Let's talk about I'd like that. to welcome everybody to the Scott and Rub show. Um, <laughs> you are seeing versatility because you're seeing Ben Seema come on and kick because the rest of the team doesn't have a big boot, do his job and come off. All right. That's not Done. versatility. That's one yeah, Yes, it is. Because you're seeing you're seeing the other guy come on and do what he has to do to score the next try. All right. So Rick, we should just start our own podcast. <laughs> okay. No, but gentlemen, I do like it. Okay. Obviously it's a heated debate and that's exactly what this is about, right? It's a rugby debate, but there is merit in both of those arguments for me. I, you know, I, I can see it from both points of view, but let's, let's step away from the specialist rugby role. It's, you know, the argument of such, you know, what do we think about the rugby jeopardy? Sorry, the, the conversion jeopardy concept. Yeah. I was going to say uh, let's talk a little bit about that. So Rick, do you want to be able to lead us in that conversation yeah. there? I, I don't necessarily like it right away. And maybe it's something that I would just have to get used to. Um, I, I like either having, maybe they could just do a two point right in front. It's a drop kick or a five point from midfield and just leave out the other Miss one. Variations they, of the rule. You mean. Very rarely used. I mean, I think okay. maybe two or three times in the teams that tried them, never tried them again because they realized the value was either we need points right now to get mm-hmm. ahead or we want the five-pointer to boost right. ourselves. And as time goes by, if teams identify that they're used to going for the one and two, and then if they need it, they go for the five, very seldom do you see somebody go for the three and the four. Yeah, so I, I think just get rid of those. Just have the two spots, and and you're good. I think that's good for me. Okay, because you would still get the same feel. You know, you could go for maximum, or you could go for the, for the safety. And essentially, it becomes more like football in that regard. You know, you got two options. So sometimes it's a simpler version, which means that it's more easily adopted and more easily recognized. Okay, now, what if gonna, it needs to be a drop kick, like in sevens? Okay, that's also an interesting point. I'm going to bring up. I'm going to circle back around to that, but I want to head over to Rob who in his first conversation about this topic spoke about it and called it a gimmick. So how do you feel about the, the, the Jeopardy conversion? Is it still gimmicky to you? Yeah, a, a little bit. I mean, two examples we saw for, and I forgot which game it was, but I think it was Miami. Uh, what we saw when they were, they, they scored a try to even it up and then they had a choice. Should they go for five? Should they go for three? Should they go for one? What they do? They went for one. It didn't take a specialist kicker to do that. Right. However, one of the fun things that we saw was uh, I think London was down um, and one of our guys, JP Aguare, uh, was the only guy that could take the kick on the pitch and um, he missed it. And it was and if I'm not mistaken, it made a difference. And so that brought some intrigue to the game. The fact that you don't have the specialist that and and there's some options there. But I like Rick's idea. I think it'd be kind of cool to do a drop kick versus a uh, versus. Uh, right. A and then also the on that that point about the drop kick. um the place, uh, uh, like using the tee for the kickoff, um, I mean, I saw that tee just sitting out there in the field. And yeah. I think I probably saw two or three guys nearly twist their ankle on that thing as well. I, mean, I just, I just, I, I, I mean, I like the idea of drop kicks because it keeps the game going. It makes it fast. That's why Sevens does it. Maybe I'm just used to having a drop kick to restart the game. I mean, what do you guys think? I didn't, get, I, I didn't I understand it. it. I mean, you I don't think it matters. I, it just seemed weird to me. Maybe that's just come yeah, out. I, I, Scott. Yeah, I, I, I don't think it matters. I think it was more having to do with usually when you do the drop goal, you're taking the, the drop kick rather to start off. You're taking those extra couple steps. So I think they wanted it to be more of a shorter kick uh, to keep it in play and make sure that the action was closer together uh, instead of trying to maybe kick for some space and just beat a guy out. Could be. Nevertheless, Gentlemen, we uh, have spoken about this enough. It's uh, been an interesting debate. Certainly uh, sparked some uh, some fire on screen here. And uh, let's go once around the table and uh, and remind our audience who are watching: Is it the uh, end of the day? Is it a success or a flash in the pan? Let's start again with uh, with Rick. Now knowing everything that you know and having heard what you heard, do you still feel the same way? I do. I still think it's a success. I think that uh, there are concerns, especially about having players and what their calendar looks like. Uh, but I think that, you know, some form of this should should be done going forward every year. Excellent. Scott? Success. Short and sweet. I like it. I mean, I think I've only recorded that three times in the history of the show. <laughs> <laughs> so let's hand it over to, uh, to to Rob, your final thoughts there. I'm not going to be a flip-flopper. I'm going to ride the fence and I'm going to say 
it remains to be seen. <laughs> That's pretty close. So you're to a flip-flopper. <laughs> We're not sure. He's leaving the door open. And Flopping I like, like LeBron in the finals. Jesus. We still yeah. do have uh, two more weekends to go. And if you are watching this and want to learn more, make sure that you like and follow us on uh, Facebook, all of our social media under the handle at Rugby Rant Pod, where you can learn about all the updates. We are sharing that as soon as we get it from the media team in Bermuda. Uh, it has been exciting. We still got two more weekends to go. By the time this airs on Sunday, the next weekend would be live, and we will be watching it, I'm sure, in much anticipation, because nevertheless, I think we can all agree here on screen that it has been pretty exciting to see some great rugby again from the boys that we know from back here in uh, North America. Finally. Good to see rugby back. All right. So let's go ahead and take a quick break before we jump into the next segment. So here's a word from our sponsor. And we're back from our commercial break. I just always wanted to be able to say that. Um, (laughs) So here we are, Rugby Rand fans, to be able to share our next segment. A quick reminder for those of you that might be tuning in for the first time. This is the Rugby Rand podcast show where we debate the hot topics on your behalf as the fan of Major League Rugby and Rugby in general, across North America. We've assembled our crack team over here. The usual suspects are Rob the Hammer Hammerschmidt. Above me, you see him there. To his side, you've got the big guy, Scott Ferrara. And then joining us a uh, third time on the show is Rick Collins from the uh, Dallas uh, organization. You've got the Jackals jersey there, but you also are the uh, fan uh, club president, member, empire leader. What is the phrase <laughs> like to use? Whatever Scott Ferrara says. I know. I don't know. There's there's so many. Scott, what is it? El, El Presidente. There El Presidente. Go. All right. That works. El Presidente of the uh, Jackal Den. All right. Gentlemen, once again, we are here to debate the hot topics, and you have two minutes to be able to do so on this round where we are talking about whether the Rugby 10s, the new World 10 series, could become a viable alternate route for players making their way up to Major League Rugby. So let's first identify the traditional ways that players might do so. Now, of course, college has been presenting an opportunity where you can go through the college draft. That was excellent to be able to see for the first time in 2020 back in June. Then, of course, you got the traditional method through the club programs, which, of course, is tried and tested. A lot of people are talking about how that program is being diminished by programs like these that are coming above it. So we're here to kind of debate it from several different angles to be able to help us understand it a little bit better. Let's throw it over to the top on my right hand side. Rob, you're going to start this round. Your two minutes start now. Uh, my response is no, and here's why. Paul Holmes and James Walker, the guys who really have been at the forefront of the tens, they don't want uh, development players for this. They want players that make a splash. They need they need this to be economically viable and successful. And how do you do that? You have it, but with guys like Ben Foden, uh, with some of the guys that came from the uh, the England Sevens program. You have it with guys like Kyle Bailey or Eric Howard, the known names in the MLR. They don't want developmental players. Uh, Coupled with that, notice that some of the development players that were drafted, they weren't involved. There were a few. Nick Taylor's one. Um, uh, Matthews, Aaron Matthews was another, right? But some of the other guys were actually doing duty with their club teams, playing in actually developmental 15s matches, which gets to my next point. And that is it's a different game. Fitness levels are different, right? 15s is a more sustained level of fitness and not as fast-paced. I think the 10s de-emphasize set-piece play, so it's very important for the development of your forwards, uh, not only in the line-out but in the scrum as well, to be able to develop some continuity and, and, and gain strength and technique there. So it, I think it devalues the, the other, uh, those, those two pieces. And then finally, um, I think the most important thing is the set patterns of play, right? How can you develop young talent in the MLR if they don't learn and understand the set patterns of play that are developed by the teams that the teams want them to play, Right. If they have to get released to do this, they're going to be unlearning some of those patterns in order to play tens. I mean, the big guy said it to me the self, uh, himself this weekend. He said, you know, JP looked great this weekend, but sometimes he, he has difficulty finding himself in the in the flow of play when when he played at Rooney. So, you know, it's a different game. All right. I threw you under uh, the bus, by the way. 
Let me let me start off by saying that I had some technical issues, so I had to reposition my computer. So I have no idea if that was two minutes. <laughs> I don't trust Scott's judgment. So I'm gonna. It was. Hop. It was. He was. It was two minutes. He was. He was there. He was there. Okay. It was. Thank you. All right. Excellent. I agree. Well, I'm sure you made some good points. Um, <laughs> so no, really. Uh, let's. Okay. Well, let's let's hand it over to to Scott before I jump in with some comments, and uh, I'll give it the opportunity to Rick, and then we'll open it up to uh, open forum to be able to chat this a little bit more. Scott, let's hear what you've got. I think it can become a developmental pathway for players to to show what they got in the MLR. My my biggest point is, I think this has a better. This is a better way to showcase those crossover players, those athletes from football, from soccer, from basketball that are going to come and, and try and you know give a shot to rugby. Um, one because it's paying, so that that helps out. You can get somebody who who is maybe a defensive end in college and say, hey, you know, for the next ten weeks we could pay you this amount, go to some exotic locations to play this sport. Um, and then you never know, maybe they get picked up by an MLR team. Um, I think it, it's a better way to do it in the sevens because then again, you know, you have the, a couple bigger guys being able to take part. But as far as what Rob said, um, I, I completely disagree. You know, you're, you're, the season's going to start at the end of the MLR Imagine season. Imagine my surprise when you disagree. I'm shocked. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It's going to start at the end of the MLR season. And to be honest, the guys who are going to go play in the fall season – some of them go ba- go back and play for their home club. So they're unlearning whatever they learn because their home club isn't going to be teaching whatever, you know, the Houston Sabercats are teaching. And then you don't, there's no guarantee that, that, that who, who's ever coaching the team is still going to be the coach next year. You know, you don't make it seem like this isn't professional sports where people can get fired for, you know, a lack of, 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 of wins here. Um, so I, again, I think it's, I think it's a little farsighted to say that, it's it's so because it's so far off of 15s and the fitness again it's it's on the back end of the 15s you can get your fitness up back for your 15s before the MLO season starts so all right so one of the things you spoke about was crossover players right these athletes that haven't yet been identified as rugby players but obviously have the same similar skill sets so yes that is important to be able to recognize and it's one of the goals of the the world 10 series that to to open up those opportunities and create a pathway for players that didn't necessarily exist because obviously we know uh with the competitive how competitive the uh the nfl is and the entry into that the nfl only the smallest portion will make but there's still a lot of great athletes that are left out in the the dark right so yes that's an important point a lot of the skill sets can carry over so i guess my question would lie and Scott, you can go ahead and answer this. Do you believe that tens is an easier form of the game for other players who are new to the game to adopt than others? I don't think it's necessarily easier. I think you have the the larger player pool based on the type of rugby that is played. Okay, fair point. Let's go ahead and see what uh, Rick has to be able to share. Yeah, so I'm a kind of a combination in between. Uh, I think that, you know, tens can be a pathway for players. Uh, especially younger players who are who are you know still learning kind of the ins and outs of the 15s game, uh, they can develop some of the skills playing in tens, uh, finding space and things like that. Where uh, they go to sevens and then try and transition to 15s, and it's really difficult because, especially as a back, uh, having played sevens and 15s my entire career, you go from one to the other and you realize, wow, like I could get 15 meters, you know the drop of the hat in sevens, but then in 15s, I'm going to get 15 meters a whole game playing fullback. So there's, there's huge advantages to tens where a player like that can easily transition over, especially from the college game. So I think a lot of college players getting drafted or trying to get into MLR tens is a great opportunity for them to showcase their skill set, right? Whether it's, you know, even a little bit of scrummaging, line out lifting, things like that, where they're doing it against competition that they would expect to play against an MLR, but also running with the ball in open play, uh, that they're not going to get to showcase as much at an academy or at a club. So, and especially since it's on TV and you're playing every weekend and the money's good, uh, for a college kid coming out, this is a dream come true. I think. So I think there's a great advantage there. I think there are disadvantages in terms of uh, player availability and what they think they're going to be able to get in terms of money coming in. If it becomes more of a development squad, 
Uh, so I, I do see the challenges there, but I, I love it overall in terms of developing players who are coming from another sport or from a younger rugby background. Right. I like that you said that, you know, with 10s, you have more field to be able to play with. You have more opportunity to be noticed as a player. Um, and it can give you a platform to be to be noticed that if you miss that draft, which let's be honest, you know, 95 percent of the kids will. Uh, I think, what is it, 24 was last season, next season, of course, a little bit more. But, you know, you could expect 400 kids to, if it is anything like this year in 2020, when there was close to, what, three or 400 that had uh, entered, and obviously the percentage, not even 10%. So, yes, if they want to continue their rugby, traditionally they would go on to be able to play their club rugby, right? But is that going to give them the opportunity to be noticed? Well, Probably not as much as 10s would because it's televised and there's professional uh, rugby, right? So, yeah, I like that point. Uh, Rob, you look like you're chomping at the bit to be able to jump in the conversation here. I go back to my original point, though, but is that what the the group that put together the 10 series really wants? They want developing players? No. They've got to make this economically viable, and that means getting high-profile players from around the world to join. Now, having said that, might that be a platform to get those players that are in South Africa or in England or in England that might want to play in the MLR, get them an opportunity to be noticed by an MLR club. Maybe. Okay. But two things I'd like to say, and then I'll, I'll let somebody else go here. Um, I, I, I know from what I know what I know. And what I know is uh, Nate Osborne um, to Scott's point, Nate Osborne coached their club team to a championship in the fall last year. NOLA won a championship because Nate Osborne was their head coach and he put the same plans in place for that team and some of the development players that were on the fringes of the, of the NOLA gold into effect in their game plan. And secondly, um, you know, uh, remember this weekend and, and I'm talking about guys like Brian, well, Brian Nolte's got a contract, but I'm talking about guys like Stephen um, McLeish. Stephen was playing for a contract this weekend, right? NOLA doesn't want to see him play tens. If he's playing for a contract, they want to see him play 15s. Yeah. I mean, that's a fair point. You know, apply your trade in the area that it's relevant, you know. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's a fair point. But your earlier point I wanted to circle back around to is how in contrary to what we were speaking about a moment ago, that it's a great place for young players to get noticed. It actually is in conversation with a lot of the people who are involved in that organization, more likely that they'll be looking for players outside of the country who are already playing their their rugby professionally and looking to either extend their career uh, or looking to be able to find an in to the American market in rugby, like players from South Africa, like players from Australia. Not that the MLR doesn't have enough of them. It's just another great way to be able to be noticed and make that transition. And for sevens players, to be able to to find a way to be able to continue their rugby in the absence of their own national programs. Well, and with the growth of MLR, they're going to need more international players. So, you know, there's going to be plenty of spots for them. Right. And, you know, and then that's that's the other question is um, with rugby at 10, this, sorry, this World 10s program, it has identified that in, obviously this year is just really you know, breaking new ground. But next year, their intention is everything goes to plan, that they look to be able to eventually extend it to 10 or almost 12 locations worldwide. Um, and what I had actually heard in an interview um, recently is that some of the ones that are speculated now, they're not actually confirmed, but it really is going to be about international here. It's about the broader scheme and connecting audiences that aren't traditional rugby hubs. So you've got um, the Ohio Aviators, which will be hosting a tournament. You've got uh, Fenway Park, which is re- which is selected as being a location. So that'll be a new rugby market, but all inside kind of between two MLR markets. The New York guy doesn't like that one at all. Yeah. <laughs> Probably well, not. I mean, we've already we already put we already put fields and pitches on, in stadiums. So you're going to use the one of the smallest baseball fields. Like well, that doesn't make sense to me. We can we can circle back around to some of the other ones that were mentioned. Of course, Miami hosting a team, so you could see probably five out of the twelve locations being American based. So while it's not yet perceived by many as an American tournament, it is obviously very American or North American rugby centric. So it will be drawing from uh, from uh, local player pools. It will be developing players. And it will have an overlap with Major League Rugby. Some of the other venues that were listed to be able to talk about the international is when you go to Europe, it'll be a location in Europe. Um, Gibraltar is likely, Tbilisi is likely, which, of course, uh, brings Georgia into the fold. 
Uh, you've got St. Petersburg, Russia, again, another emerging nation. Uh, you've got uh, two more in uh, locations in Asia that are yet to be announced. Most likely one of them could be Singapore. Uh, then you've got circling background on the back end, which is going to be Vegas because of its transient uh, culture there. A lot of great internationals from all around the world, expats. Uh, and then finally ending in Bermuda, where it all started. Well, you know, can I just say one thing? I think some of the attraction for some of these players that are in the MLR and international sevens players has been the venue. I mean, yeah. who would who would not want to get paid a thousand dollars a week to play in Bermuda for four? You know, for for three. But they're going to go to Ohio, right? You're going to go out or, 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 or to Georgia. Like, no disrespect to Georgia, because that's not exactly a vacation destination, nor is St. Right. Petersburg, Russia. Listen, I've always wanted to go to sunny Tbilisi, but I just got to <laughs> I gotta hammer, I gotta hammer the hammer here because, you know, he's using the example of Coach Osborne as coaching a club team. Let's be in the real world. Nine times out of ten, there's going to be coaches that can't coach the club teams. Or like in New York, there's three Division One club teams that guys play for that aren't going to have be coached by Coach Osborne, all three of them. Or you're going to have an uh, MLR coach, which we have now, that coaches for USA. And now going into this season, they're going to be coaching ARCs and, and Rugby World Cup teams and international right. test matches. So but, just but, because but, it works right now, you know, currently in this space, you I don't see that as a viable happen. option. But uh, tell me this, Rick. Uh, where did Elaine Vassie come from? She was with the Dallas uh, Harlequins. So, and before that, Scotland. She was okay. with the Scottish women. Okay, so so – is it is it feasible or possible that Elaine might go down and 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 help out the Dallas Harlequins again, or help out around around so, Dallas? Interesting enough, we just announced our coaching. Or the Harlequins did. I'm no longer in an official position there. Um, they have a head coach who happens to be married to Elaine Bassey. Okay, and is it is right. it feasible or possible that next year there's a coaching change at Dallas and Elaine is no longer on their staff? And then going into next year, it's it. Her husband is still the coach at Harlequins, but they're not doing what they're doing at Dallas Jackals. That's my point. Is it's fluid situation, so you can't just say that that setup is going to work all the time. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely not. There are certainly exceptions, but I guess my point is 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 that you know how the number one question I think that when you have a new MLR franchise, you have to be able to answer for the club teams is what are we giving back to you as club teams if we're getting a resource of players and support right. as fans. What are we giving back to you? And one of the things they can easily do is provide some coaching opportunities. You get an assistant coach to be your developmental coach down at the lower levels uh, or a club coach. You have your strength and conditioning coach that's involved. They're involved, and they bring this through the system. Okay. So the players that, uh, that, trans, that, that go up into the MLR program. Yeah, that's fine, but it's a whole different conversation of what we were talking right, about. Right, it is. So, uh, and that's why I want to be able to circle back around. Let's stick on that theme about what the MLR should be doing, as you said, for clubs, and let's turn it back to the to this World Rugby Tens. What can it do or what will it be doing for rugby in America? Let's open it up to the floor once around the table and let's leave it there in regards to it being a alternate route to the MLR or an alternate route for development in the U.S., what will World Tens do for that? Rob, we'll begin it with you. I don't think it's a youth development program for uh, college kids coming out that did make the draft or even might be somebody that they want to get stuck in right away into the in, into a high level of rugby. I think it's a better venue for players from across the world who want to get into the MLR and use that as a vehicle to get noticed. All right. I like those points, and it's clear and precise. Let's go ahead and hear from uh, Scott. I think it'd be used, it could be used for both. I think those young kids, if they're good enough to play and get on these tens teams, shoot your shot while it's on ESPN Plus and YouTube. All right, Rick. Well, we already saw there's three or four players who were drafted out of college in this tournament and holding their own. Um, you know, Rodriguez who just got picked, Linden Backles. Uh, scored a try in his first match. Um, Aaron Adams looked like a stud out there. I, you know, he looked like he'd been playing in MLR for a couple of years. Um, I think it's there's a high possibility you're going to be able to get guys straight out of college or guys that transition over to play in tens and then move over to MLR. I don't see that as something that would stop tens from being a popular product. All right. So we've uh, battled this one out, gentlemen, and it has, of course, come down to the end now to find out who is the winner of this particular rant. And before we do so, a quick reminder to those of you that have been watching this episode or listening on our many opportunities 
to listen to us on your favorite podcast providers, including Apple, Google, Stitcher, and uh, Spotify. Uh, we do this every week. Uh, we bring on new guests, and uh, we welcome you to be able to join us. If you'd like to be able to learn more about those opportunities, reach out to myself or any of my colleagues, and you can join us on the rant. We welcome the opportunity for you to take on these two guys over here as Rick Collins has put up a good fight for them. And let's find out who is the winner of this round. So let me start off by giving an additional point out to uh, Rob for not saying Chicago this episode. (laughs) 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 That's what we're giving points out for, huh? Okay. You set the bar when you put that on the topics uh, there. (laughs) But you did say Nola a lot though. I mean, we all had some really great points. I love the the, the, the heated debate between uh, Rob and, and Scott. Um, Rob, you remained a little bit more consistent, um, but you started again sway. Um, I don't feel like you had your points necessarily, or at least you had your points uh, plotted out, um, but you kind of got lost in the middle, so you're out. <laughs> so that leaves it between Rick and Scott. Now, Scott has reminded me on numerous occasions that he has won the most amount of titles, and for bragging, he loses a point. Um, <laughs> so it hands That's over crap. to Rick on his third time lucky. You got the uh, the charm. You got the win. The bragging rights are yours. How do you feel? <laughs> it's a win for me so long as the big guy doesn't get it. <laughs> I can't have it. Nobody can. <laughs> exactly right. We like that spirit. But uh, you have obviously been an incredible uh, uh, guest, not only this time, but on every occasion. Uh, we wish you well. We know you're doing some great work down in Dallas to be able to kind of galvanize a fan support around the Jackals. Why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit more about what you're doing in that regard and how fans can look forward to exciting stuff coming up. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to be doing a tour of the stadium soon uh, and finding out where our supporters are going to be able to sit during matches. Um, it's it's going to look beautiful. Um, and anybody who's been to a Rangers game there knows it's a wonderful stadium, uh, beautiful uh, location as well. Uh, and you'll get to maybe go to a Jackals game in the afternoon and go to a Rangers game at night in the middle of the, in the, middle of the summer. So uh, not a bad deal. I'd also like to give a shout out to our new podcast, Texas Rugby Monthly. Uh, obviously not in competition. All we're doing is talking <laughs> Texas rugby. Because no uh, one can be competition to us. That's right. <laughs> uh, so we're getting we're getting the viewpoints from Dallas, Austin, and Houston, and and hopefully uh, you know more from maybe West Texas and East Texas as well. So uh, if you get a chance, listen in on that. It is on Spotify, Amazon, and other places and it's also on youtube we got a video as well yeah and uh that comes out of course you know uh, every month as you said and each episode kind of covers a recap i mean that's a great production value in between you uh grant and dustin you guys all know your rugby and what i love about it is that it's all three uh, uh teams being represented yeah. so it's a, a well uh, balanced viewpoint of texas rugby does uh, dallas have a shot to win the texas cup rick no, I, I'm going to go ahead and Wrong. say no. Not, Wrong. not this year. Wrong. Not this year. So, so here's Rick's Wrong. message summarize. Hey, come by and watch the Dallas team lose. <laughs> we're going to be more entertaining than Houston. Get we're going to be hero. more entertaining than Austin. But it, Dallas it's Jackals 2021 Texas Cup, baby. Dude, right. All the players are under 27 years old. I mean, it's going to take time. Right. No, I, I definitely believe that it's a slow and steady uh, building process to, to Dallas. You know, you're not thinking this season, you got to think three seasons, five seasons ahead to really establish that, uh, a, a team, you know, like every I didn't other. Say they're making the playoffs. I just said they're winning the Texas cup. Calm down. There. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's fine. That's fine. That is a good one. If that is in fact going to be the case that the three teams will compete, we don't actually know. Um, but Nevertheless, gentlemen, it has been an exciting uh, episode. At times, it looked like some fisticuffs were going to take place. Uh, I thought it needed to have a PG rating, but it ended up being R. Um, So (laughs) let's go ahead and thank all of our viewers for joining us on this episode of the Rugby Rant Podcast Show. On behalf of myself and our sponsors at the Rugby 
shop.com you can go and get all the gear you need from them as a fan when it comes to major league rugby and of course the rugby rant itself whether it be the jackals whether it be rooney whether it be the rugby rant or be everything in between they have what you need so make sure you go and get to them get your gear at the rugby shop.com from myself ty braga your host for today's activities alongside rob the hammer hammerschmidt scott the big guy ferrara and rick collins of the jackal den thank you for watching and we'll see you at the next one bye-bye everybody in your crew identifies as either big mac burger mcnuggets or mccrispy sandwich but you're the filet fish sandwich all day that crispy fish that savory tartar sauce that melty cheese that pillowy bun yeah you get it every time and if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just six dollars limited time only price and participation may vary cannot be combined with any other offer single item at regular price ba-da-ba-ba-ba